You're listening to Culture Camp. Tune in each week to hear from an amazing lineup of athletes, CEOs, founders, and more who have created winning cultures in their organization. Each will share the secrets to creating a culture in your business that will lead you to thrive. Are you ready? Here's your host, Jason Haugen. All right, welcome back to another episode of Culture Camp. I have a really, really, really exciting episode today with two of my biggest mentors in culture, honestly, uh, Mr. Lee Quinn and David Spader. Now, this is going to be such a good conversation. And man, you guys have a, a, a lot of good stuff going on. Um, and just I cannot wait to get into this conversation because the, you two are some of my favorite people to to ever talk culture with. And it really has started my foundation. Well, you know, going back to my, my parents' previous history and building, you know, some network marketing business back then and learning a uh, disc from Dr. Robert Rome and then getting introduced to you two and taking it to a whole other level and really the psychology behind it's been really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. David, you know, like to hear, hear Miss, I mean, you got a, got a pretty strong family name. You know, it's, it's a really strong family <laughs> name, especially in the RV business. And, uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so my my interest in culture really started started long before Lee's did. Growing up in family businesses as well, I have a father who's a serial entrepreneur, um, and so I had a lot of different businesses um, ventures constantly um, coming and going, and and some more successful than others, and constantly learning. But one of the things that interested me right away was his mentor as and Lee's mentor and my mentor, um, Dr. Michael O'Connor. Uh, and my father hit it off back in the early 80s, maybe even late 70s, and they s- struck up a relationship. And Dr. O'Connor was so far ahead of his time at that point in the 70s, he was studying how values impact individuals and organizations. And so my father was one of the first test organizations for implementing some of those values-based practices. And that really interested me. I've always had an interest in human behavior and leadership and why we do what we do. And with the um, being fortunate enough to, to have a mentor like him, I went to school for um, to study that a little bit more, took a little detract detraction for a little while, um, spent a little time in, in Washington, D.C., and then in the Philippines doing some nonprofit work, but then um, jumped back into the business. And I've been doing that for a little over 20 years. And as Lee mentioned, he, he and I crossed paths very early in our coaching and consulting practices and have been and colleagues and shared best practices. And um, we'll call them lessons learned as well along the way um, as we've continued to build our practice. That's uh, awesome, man. I know that it's made a made a huge. I mean, the the work that you two have done, um, and everything that that that's going on, and, and the soon, you know, launching the the new company Potentia, or you know, com- just growing that has definitely made uh, a huge impact in our company. I mean, our I can't imagine, you know, to, to, to tell you like how much it's done for us, and you know, creating that felt like it's really important to create that foundation with people, and and even in the good times and the bad times, and when you know, you build that foundation in good times, you know, you can kind of get a little lazy, but really you figure out who you are in those bad times and creating that, you know, that, that really strong culture. And so I just want to say personally, thank you to you two, to, to everything that you've done for our company, because it's been, been massive. I mean, send them teams down to, you know, Fort Lauderdale was honestly a little bit nicer than Albuquerque, New Mexico, but that's okay. Um, but Albuquerque <laughs> and everything, just, just training everybody. And then Lee taking the time every month consulting with our executive and manager team. It's been, it's been awesome. 
Yeah. And Jason, one of the things you said there, I think is also really important and, and you've learned and, and recognized is that in those tough times in organizations, that's really an opportunity to solidify and strengthen your culture, which mm-hmm. oftentimes we don't see it that way because we're, we're neck deep in alligators just trying to survive or, or claw our way out of an unfavorable situation or environment. But when you think about it, that's really when when true relationships are built between employers and employees or just between human beings. It's, you know, we don't we don't strengthen our relationship as well very often when things are going well. It's in the tough times where we really find out, are are we going to be true to what we say we're going to do? And so the fact that you recognize that and there's there really is opportunity in those tougher times in culture. Um, I'm sure Lee can share many times in his business and, and with clients where we've really seen organizations come out of tough times much stronger than they mm-hmm. were going in because leadership did the right things. The organization made the tough calls. People felt good about what they did. So that really is an opportunity. I'm, I'm glad to hear you've recognized that as a young leader, you've got a, that's a lesson a lot of leaders don't learn for a long time. For sure. And it, it's just been a weird, well, I mean, it, oh, go ahead, Lee. Jason, just to jump in. I mean, we've had together an experience with your organization and certain people you have talent. And then one of the things that we've learned together is about the right job fit. And you've recognized you had someone with great talent and someone who has fit the culture perfectly. And how do that, how do you keep that person and put them in the right role so that they could thrive and grow with you and the organization and, you know, put them in that and then find someone who fit the other role. And you took, took a lot of good thinking, a lot of good time, and you spent time making sure that that person landed in the right place. Uh, not a lot of organizations would have done that. And uh, that's part of what we're all about is uh, making sure that we put the people in the right place so that they do can succeed with us. Your strategy is real strong. And then now they are foundation and they're thriving uh, for you. Correct. Oh yeah. They it's, it's been, it's been amazing to watch. And you know, it, it's, you know, I think I called you a million times and how to, how to even talk to this individual, yeah. how to coach this individual because they, we were close. I mean, it was yeah. a tough, it was going to be a tough conversation, but actually she ended up raising her hand because of coaching through, you know, conversations through me and you, and then you coaching her, she was raising her hand saying, Hey, I'm not the right fit for this this position, you know, I, I need to go somewhere else. And now she's flourishing. Um, we got someone else to come into Amazing. that position and he is flourishing. And I mean, it's going to be, we're going to make strides in 2023, which I'm very, very excited about because it's, it's needed. You know, we came through like a really awkward time in the RV industry. It was really, really good, but it was really hard at the same time. So it was a very weird mm-hmm weird time because sales were fantastic, but then all of a sudden sales were still fantastic, but inventory was hard to get. And then COVID this and COVID that. And so we really learned who we were through, through this, you know, tough time or eat like, I don't know. It's hard because it was, the sales were so good, but like mentally it was so hard and draining on people. And I love the fact that we really focused on leadership and people and systems and processes mm-hmm. um, through those times, because honestly, we didn't have very much inventory to sell, so there's really nothing to do. So, you know, we decided right, to, right, to, to really focus on on the team. One thing I want to ask you guys, and, you know, this can kind of go, you know, either you, Lee, or, or you, David, is how do you have that relationship with your team that isn't, because, you know, you don't want to be like their 
best friend. Like, I, I don't know. And, and then maybe you do. And I'm just, you know, and advice for me and advice for listeners, because I get this all the time of, of how, like, what type of relationship should I have with, you know, my executive team, my manager team, my employees, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're, I hate to say lower level, but you're, you're, your employees. Um, and, you know, have that relationship where it's, it's like more respect based. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. Dave, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, I, th I think that's, it's, it's a big question. Um, and so I'm going to start with the title of your podcast culture. And so the, the first thing is what's, what should the relationship look like can be a little different for each organization and it should be driven by who you are as an organization. And so what are those core values by which you want to build all those relationships? Okay. And so, you know, things like being ethical, having strong teamwork, healthy relationships are some common values that we see. And so first and foremost, from a leadership perspective, to have that consistency, because with the cult, with your culture, you don't want, you know, Lee having one type of relationship with his employees and Jason, you having a totally different type, and they both might be okay in certain organizations, but within the same organization, we're sending different messages then, right? Right. And so how do we make sure that whatever, whatever those relationships are, have a, have a higher, um, uh, look to those higher level principles to make sure those are first and foremost guiding that. Now, on a more one-on-one -on -one basis, that that can be more tricky because we, you know, we oftentimes spend more time with our colleagues than we do our spouses. For sure, <laughs> and we develop close friendships, and we we do become close. Um, and so, where that line, it, it can be tricky. So that's where we go back to those those values to hopefully help guide that. But one relationship we really want to have with every employee, especially if we're in a leadership role, is really our job is to deliver two things for them. And that's to make sure they have a successful career and a satisfying career. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be our best friends. So Jason, you and I could have a really healthy, great, wonderful working relationship, but maybe outside of work, I like to ski and you like to snowmobile right. <laughs> or whatever else it might be. We don't have to be best friends outside of work, but at work, we we should have a respectful, healthy um, values driven relationship. But if, if you're my, my boss, what do I need from you? I need you to help me have a satisfying career and a successful career. And what you and um, Lee were just talking about with that employee is you may have had an employee who is very capable, but not satisfied. You can have employees also very satisfied in their role, but not capable. And if both of those aren't there long-term, they're not going to be successful and satisfied. And that's how you get the best out of people. And it's really particularly interesting. Um, we've been doing some research in this area in particular. And what we found is every leader, though, has a strong bias towards more being more focused on success and hitting mm -hmm. those financial objectives, the hard side of the business goals, efficiencies, et cetera. And other leaders have a stronger preference and bias towards the satisfaction of their employees. So looking out for the relationship, commitment, engagement, but it's really a balance of those two that leads to sustained performance as an individual and as an organization. But almost every organization we work with, especially prior to really understanding this, um, tends to have all their systems, processes, structures, activities biased towards one of those. And as a result, they underperform their potential. Right. That's interesting. That's really interesting. How, 
how do you, is it, are those specific conversations that you're having with employees about, you know, how they're feeling, what, what, what they want, the capabilities, their, their wants and needs, their loves, you know, hobbies, like, you know, are those conversations that you're, you're directly having with them to figure out how to, how to help them perform at a super high level? Well, it depends on the individual too. Um, certain uh, employees prefer that. We'd like to have that conversation, and those are people who are more high relating, and they they want to have those conversations. Then there are others who are more focused on the task, and that's that success and satisfaction. So I have to be a cognizant of someone if they are more satisfaction focused, driving to achieve the results be deal with excellence in doing the tasks that are in front of them. And then I start to ask them how they're feeling or what's going on with their family. I may be crossing a boundary they don't want me to do. Um, and so I have to be self-aware of, of that as a leader. I give a great example is a client that I had. There was an individual who was a longstanding employee, just outstanding individual, but very private. And they wanted to do a celebration for this person. And the person said, please don't do it. And they still did it. And the person was very angry. Now, wow. what would you think? You know, said, that's kind of odd. You know, here I am, you know, sharing with you some wonderful things about you. But they are a very private individual. And that was crossing a, a boundary for them. So I have to be as aware as a leader to not approach it from the way I would prefer to approach it. Again, that's a platinum rule that Dr. O'Connor is, what's the preference and how would they prefer me to do it? Now, what I could have done, it wasn't me who did it, but the client could have done, is to say, well, what would be most important? Well, the individual was a very faith-based individual, so they could have contributed a donation in that person's name to whatever charity that person wanted to. And I think that would have been more appealing. So we have to we have to understand as a leader, yes, certain relationships I can have in one way and another, but I as a leader have to be the one to recognize how to adapt myself. And and as we saw in that situation, it didn't work out. Ultimately, the the individual was okay. The owner went and apologized and told them, you know, we really were doing it because of how important you are to the business. And all was settled down at the end. But in the moment, it was a pretty difficult situation. Right. Which and is to go, to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. Well, so so. I think what Lee what Lee is saying here as well, which I, I fully support and want to reinforce, is that you have to know your employees well enough to know what's satisfying to one can be yeah. dissatisfying or demotivating exactly. to another. And so, uh, you know, the question you asked is, do you talk about this? Absolutely. I, I wish every at the onboarding process for every employee asked at least those two questions with between the the, the manager or leader and, and that their direct report is, you know, Jason, okay, it's a year from now, it's five years from now. How would you how what's the satisfying career look like for you? What sort of things are happening? What's making you engaged and committed to this organization? Um, and then ask the second part. On the on the success side, what have you achieved? What seat are you sitting in? Where do you want to go? Because my job is to help you get there. Those two things, satisfying career, successful career, and they can look completely different with two different people. And the only way for me to know is to ask. 
Right. Um, you, you know, if we guess, we're gonna we're gonna put our our biases, like the example Lee used, onto the situation, and we may completely miss, even though we have the best of intentions. Right. No, I. I agree. And, and I, and I, and unfortunately a lot of that, you know, comes with experience and I, you know, it can kind of come at the expense of, of some people's feelings or, you know, just like, you know, Lee, the, the example you made of someone getting upset and, and that, that a lot of that has come with experience. But I think that, I think there's got to, like, in my opinion, there, there needs to be that, that shift and that want to know this stuff. Cause I, I don't know about you guys, but I meet yeah. a lot of people in the business world that are, you know, so in, in, in a, some sort of aspect they're successful you know big companies lots of employees mm -hmm. um you know to the outside world pretty successful but the inside of their companies are kind of i wouldn't say a disaster but the culture is just crazy and they don't care and they don't even know like i i definitely like especially in this hyper competitive world with you know well you know i know times are changing but there are a lot of opportunities out there for employees or for people to go to the other places that make them feel comfortable and then satisfy their needs because that's also a, a huge a huge deal and it's it, a lot of oftentimes you know it, it's a little bit more rare i think when people are just working for someone because they feel like they have to and they they feel like they're in you know in they, they're they, they're locked up they can't go they're in bonded whatever you want to call it they there there is those opportunities to to go and i mean we see it all the time in the rv industry because it's a really it's kind of a a little bit behind the times industry honestly it I, i'm not going to say it's a redneck industry but a little little, little redneck <laughs> um but we you know we're we're getting phone calls all the time saying hey you know we i heard you know you operate like this or you do these things or you do that or you like even going down to the benefit side of things you know like there's no more you know, it, it, being so competitive, you got to play in that game right now with with helping people. And I love the words that you guys use is helps them feel fulfilled and satisfied in their job. So it's really important. if I could build on that point, I mean, just think of what's going on right now about the great resignation. Um, and, and, you know, why why are people leaving? And they're leaving at all ages. It's not just uh, the millennials. There are people leaving simply because what COVID created right. <laughs> in the environment where people were working from home and some of them were, you know, there for, ex we're all there for extended periods of times. And we started to do a lot of reflection. Hey, I can do this job from home or actually they get, had different interests. But one of the, you know, one of our, uh, situations that we're seeing is there are some companies that are hiring at a, they can still hire, even though some jobs, I think it's like there's two jobs for each individual is looking for a job. I think it is right now. And yet they're losing people at the almost the same rate in which they're hiring to fill other jobs. And some of the key factors that are happening there is right down to the supervisor level and there's some research where you know it's still you associate with gallup and others but i think the success and satisfaction notion is that does my manager really care about me do they know about me they understand my situation you know some people now with child care and everything else they don't have they find that they're caught with that lack of flexibility um do they, are they recognized for what they're doing at their job they don't feel that they're recognized that they're they're a number on a sheet and that they have to produce. And they don't know whether their contributions are valued uh, because they don't hear it from the organization. Right. Uh, and so 
after, at a certain point, people have just decided no. Um, and with the opportunities that are out there, uh, they're jumping and taking different opportunities. Which So that's where it's really critical in leadership, which your point is. Right. Leaders have to, and I think this is a great spot where David could speak. He's got great, uh, this is about his book as well, is understanding how to give people the proper direction or support to move them up the scale of success and satisfaction in doing a job. And understanding what does it look like to be a high performer? What, as an organization, this is what we are looking for you to aspire to become and do. What do we want to do to get you there? And I'll leave that into David because we can do the. Does a person have the motivation or the capabilities? And 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 this is where the great research David and Dr. O'Connor comes in handy. I think. Right. And is valuable. Yeah, totally agree, David. I mean, I know you got, you got it. This is, this is down your, your alley. Yeah, it's your <laughs> well, space. What, one of the, it was interesting when, when Dr. O'Connor and I decided to write the book, um, probably five years before that, I recall him saying, I, I, I'll never write another book. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I have no desire to write another book. And uh, so when we, when we were discussing it and broached the idea, he said, you know, but it's important. It's important to me. Um, because we're seeing these trends that we really, really want to stop. And some of those trends are, you know, when you look at trust in leaders, it's continued to slide. Um, I saw some data the other day that said two thirds of all employees distrust their CEO and leader. Um, and wow. so it, you know, it's not always because of the leader's character. It's because we're not utilizing the right approach at the right time as leaders because we haven't learned a way to, we, we don't know how to diagnose what's what's necessary in those scenarios. And so we we embarked on um, putting, developing a new, a new leadership model. And one of the outcomes of the model, before I talk about that, is we identified four types of leaders. Now, these aren't necessarily personalities. And a lot of people will mistake it for that. This is, this is other factors. But what we found is that in different types of scenarios, some leaders thrive. So some leaders thrive and do better in less favorable situations when things aren't going as well, because they you need that stereotypical strong leader in control, giving directions, et cetera. And unfortunately, when times get better, that approach doesn't work. Because if you think, if you think about a, a football game, for example, if you're up by three touchdowns and the coach is still yelling at everybody all the time about all the things they're doing wrong and what they need to do, it, they kind of kill that energy that's created, right? So when you're winning right. the game, what do you want to do? You want to keep the cheering. You want to high five. You want to keep that positive energy going. And those naturally more directive and controlling leaders that we call pushers, about 17% of all leaders, okay, they don't adapt. And because of that, leaders get frustrated or their employees get frustrated. So, Jason, if you're my employee and you're at the top of your game, you're you're a great salesperson, you're one of my regional managers, whatever it might be, you're at the top. And we every time we sit down and I'm telling you, okay, Jason, here's what you need to do, how you do how you need to do it, when you need to do it, you're probably not gonna like that as a high performer. Right. Or said another way, how long do you think uh uh Someone would have coached Michael Jordan if they were telling him how to shoot the ball and exactly what to do at every play. Right. Right. But because we don't see this, where these these pushers are are doing that now, when they learn how to add to their directive and controlling behaviors, a suite of behaviors which are geared more towards satisfaction around 
supporting and relating. And now they realize, okay, Jason's really at the top of his game. I need to be supporting him, not directing him now. Now, all of a sudden, that relationship where you might be saying, I don't really know. It just seems like David doesn't really trust that I'm doing a good job. He's still telling me how to do everything. You know, I'm going to have to go somewhere else to get the opportunity I want. Now, if the relationship I'm coming to you and saying, hey, Jason, you killed it again this quarter. What do you need from me? Right. Way to go. You know, what can I take that you're doing and, and share with other leaders? And I'd like you to share that with them because, you know, you're you're one, two, three steps ahead of where they are. And, I, you know, that's valuable to this organization. And let's put you in a position where you can continue to grow those people like you're growing yourself. Right. Totally different conversation. And what we found, though, is about 67 percent of leaders don't do either of those well. They're not really great at the supporting and they're not really great at the the directing. Okay. Um, About 8%, in case you're wondering, about 8%, and this is um, about 8% are good on the supporting side, but not the directing. Okay. And then you have roughly 7% that are good at both. Right. Okay. And so that leaves 93% of us that have some really big upside opportunity. Um, and that those are some things that that we're finding are transforming organizations very quickly because the principles apply across situations. And once you learn that and get consistency in your organization, that's really helpful. And I, I know you know what we're talking about right now. I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to put the I'm going to flip the switch here and put it back on you. Um, and how, how have some of those principles helped you and your organization? Oh, so much because, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. And, and, and I, you know, one, one thing that actually changed our trajectory of our company, I believe is when we went down to Fort Lauderdale, um, with you back in January of 2019, I'll never forget it. No, 2020, sorry, 2020, January, 2020. Um, we were sitting down with you. Um, you know, we took our tests. We, we, we were there for a week and then we sat down with you and we're like, Hey, um, in about a week, two weeks, we're closing on two dealerships. We just found out and we kind of laid out this map, but what, what happened, um, within that, that leadership, um, you know, session or that week is one of my, my top performers. Um, he literally, he's my right hand man. I don't even, I wouldn't even call him. He's, he's, you know, the guy in our company, his name is Matt and and you know him very well. He, he took that test and realized what he was doing and how he was managing people. And his natural management style was to micromanage everybody. And I remember him flipping over the test and he was like, do you really think that I'm like this? And I was like, yes, dude, I've been telling you this for six months that like every time someone asks you a question, you just say, I'll take care of it. 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 And now you're doing everybody's job because they're just like, I mean, people naturally just take the path of least resistance. So, okay, if Matt's going to work, do my job for me, I'm just going to sit over here and do nothing. And he's like, wow, like I had no idea. And I I love that it was kind of like, like, you know, the whole class talked about it. And then we made an action plan about things that he could do by rating people, which I think is super important. And he actually made himself a flashcard that had everybody's name written on it. It was like, okay, this person's an L5, can't talk to him very long, support, you know, went and talked to him. And it changed everything about the, the trajectory of of, of us as, a, as an RV group. I don't think we would have been as successful if Matt would have been trying to be everything to everybody because we all of a sudden went from 25 employees to like 60 employees in overnight. And that's literally impossible to do. I mean, you, you can't direct report that many people. And so back figuring 
the the structure of the company and then coaching everybody of their management styles and how you know their their natural ten- tendencies are in favorable situations and then less favorable situations have been huge for us because we we take you know it's funny because now anytime anything happens we go we always is this favorable or unfavorable okay it's unfavorable we're, right we you know lee's helped us plot map our team so we're like okay well our team's going to react like we're going to punch this dude in the face so we can't do that so how are we going to make the game plan, you know, going forward? And it's literally changed right. the trajectory of our company. And now getting everybody bought into that has been huge because one thing that I was taught, which has been been super helpful is we, and one thing that I'm grateful for is we, we saw this at the beginning, back when we only had 25 employees. And right. now we have about 180 and everybody is on the same learning you know, programs are on the same, we, we're talking the same language, everybody. And so we have this foundational culture that, you know, we kind of call each other out. Hey, you're L5, you know, you're L1ing me. I, you know, I'm an L5. Oh crap. You know, sorry. I didn't mean to to do that. And it's knowing those situations and being a, a coach when you need to be a coach and a cheerleader when you need to be a cheerleader. It's been, been amazing. Well, and, and adding to that, Jason, I think the, uh, an additional piece that so helpful, it takes, the way the person-centric part of some of managing somebody turns it into goal focus. So when I have a discussion with somebody about their performance or where they are, uh, it's really clear. This is what it looks like to do this job a certain way. And we've agreed on it ahead of time. And therefore, if I'm having a discussion, a performance discussion with them, it is not whether it's them personally, it's, hey, here's what we said it looked like in the job. And the first thing I want to do as a leader, which you did and have been doing great, is to take the first hit to say, okay, what part of that am I contributing to, right? So, so for example, of Matt, uh, intention and impact. His intention was never to feel like he was micromanaging anybody, correct? Right. On the other hand, the impact he was having on people was that. But what it does is allow us to step back and say, okay, this person I've identified as an L4, L5, which means, you know, I should be, you know, shaping or commending that individual for the work they do. And therefore, my response needs to be different. And, and that's the whole piece is to understand that my intent was to be shaping and commending that person, but my action wasn't. Right. And so the more we can get our intention and impact in alignment, the more likely and we are going to be successful as a leader. And that's why I think the work that Dave and David has done with Dr. O'Connor around understanding the difference in leadership and management and how to address under certain situations is important. I'll deal with the flip side on this. So now I have somebody who's a lower performer. Now, most organizations, and you and I even talked about this, and Dave and I have discussed it, hold on to somebody too long. Now, what ends up happening is you have a low performer. I, as a manager, feel, you know, that, you know, I I like the person. I want to help them do whatever. But what happens is, is now they're not doing what they're supposed to do, and it's adding extra work to the people around them. And now their reflection on to me is, well, Lee thinks this is okay. So obviously they think this behavior is okay. I'm now eroding trust in me with the employees because I am not addressing a problem that's impacting them on a daily basis. Right. And this allows me to do that as well, to say, wait a minute, no, they're lower performer. I need to be more shaping or focusing in this individual, be more directive. 
And then I have to be really clear what it looks like to stay here um, in order to be fair to those who are putting that effort and who are fulfilling, you know, the needs of what we're trying to do as a culture. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, Jason, one of the things you said that's really enjoyable as well, it's been enjoyable for us to watch is, you know, the, the timing yes. of when we first met down in Fort Lauderdale and that, that leadership and culture training we did really probably happened at about the perfect time in your organization's evolution. Yes. Yes. <laughs> there had been a lot of, you know, there, there'd been a lot of water under the bridge at that point. So you had a good context and understanding. And I remember the conversation we had about, um, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Right. And that fact that you had a team that was really good at controlling and monitoring and, and some might even say, <laughs> um, you know, that was that works because you had a small core group of people that could keep their eyes on everything. But the second you went from one to three locations, you couldn't do that anymore. Right. And so you had to learn a different way. And to give your organization credit, you all took that to heart and you leveraged that to become a strength and understanding that, oh, okay, this control is, is really important, but we have to use it in only very specific situations. And, you know, talking about L1 through five leadership approaches for those that have no idea what we're talking about, (laughs) five different types of leadership approaches, L1 to L5. Um, You know, that's, you're able to take that right away, integrate it in your culture. And as you bring on additional organizations um, and locations and more bring, continue to grow. Now it's just the way we do things. And it really helps make it easier for everybody. And I, I'm curious, occasionally now, you know, in a lot of organizations, now we have employees come to their boss and say, hey, I've got an L2 situation. I need you to tell me what to do. Don't tell me to figure it out. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I need you to tell me. And the, Or the opposite. Hey, you're overmanaging me. Would you agree with that? And, you know, those leaders are saying, yeah, you're right. I'm just naturally a controlling leader. I apologize. Go take care of this. You're right. I, you, you do have this. Right. Um, so that's helpful. Uh, now, just out of, for your listeners here, they might find this this interesting as we talk about matching um, the leadership approach with the situation that's required. So we did um, we did a study. We've got about four or five hundred um, leaders and managers in this study now, and what we're finding is that when things are going well in favorable situations, uh, 72% of the time, leaders are overmanaging or micromanaging their employees. Wow. Seven out of 10 times. And so we wonder why employees are frustrated. Well, one of the things as we talk about times are changing, we have some of the most educated employees ever. That doesn't mean they necessarily know what they need to do in the work environment, but they're more educated. Um, You know, so they, so they think they won't contribute in, in ways maybe previous generations hadn't. Um, seven out of 10 times we're now, I don't know about you, but I don't get really excited or motivated when someone tells Mm me how to do something I already know how to do right? (laughs) and insists on doing it their way. Right. Right. And the other thing we hear is that leaders don't have enough time, but if you're a leader that's over managing someone and taking the time to tell them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and they already know how to do it, one, you're wasting your time, your precious time that you don't have. And secondly, you're also demotivating the employee. So you got a twofer, but a twofer in the wrong direction. Right. <laughs> and so um, that's where that the, the some of those tools, you know, we call it the productive leadership model that Dr. O'Connor and I put together. Um, and, you know, if, if your listeners are interested uh, as well, we would happily give out um, some of those copies of our books 
um, yeah. conquering unfavorable leadership with some of those principles. For sure. Um, we'll, we'll happily give you this information to give some freebies out to those that respond. Um, so they learn a little bit more about that. But seven out of 10, that's a real problem. But the yeah. reverse is also true. It's not like we're a lot better in unfavorable situations because now I have that struggling employee. And as Lee said, we're we're not taking action as quickly or as decisively or firmly as we should. And so about 57% of the time, we're under managing. We're not using enough direction and control right. and bringing these, these situations to resolution. So over half the time, we're still getting it wrong. Right. Um, and it's no wonder there's frustration in the workplace from both a leadership perspective and also from employees because Lee and I have a job because leaders like you call us and say, we know there's a better way. We're up at night because we're dealing with people's lives. You know, if I've got to, if we have, have to make the tough choice to, to um, you know, redeploy them back into the workforce to find a better fit, um, we really, you know, that's affecting people's lives and their families and, you know, values driven leaders like you and your family and your team that keeps us up at night. So having the confidence that we're addressing those in a way that works helps everybody. Right. No, mm -hmm. I, I love that. And I have some personal experience with, with the, the, the latter is my, my so my natural management tendency is to L5 everybody, which, you know, pretty much is the complete opposite of micromanaging, which is a good and bad thing. I mean, some, yeah, I kind of just, not that I let it, everybody run amok, but I'm just, I'm, I'm a big cheerleader. I, I, I was not a cheerleader in high school or anything by any means, but <laughs> I'm just, I feel like I'm everybody's biggest fan. And my, my own brother, um, we hired him as a director of inventory. And my right. personality is, you know, I'm an, I'm an I, so I'm an interacting socializer, and then I'm a D in, in less favorable situations. And so when I was given the, the, the inventory back when we only had one dealership, I just went and figured it out. I mean, that's just my, my natural personality is I'll just go figure it out. I'll, you know, I'll make some phone calls. I'm not afraid to do that. I will ask for help and, and do everything I'm supposed to do. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I wouldn't made it happen. And so when I hired my brother to, to do this, I just said, hey, here's the inventory. Here's some spreadsheets I use. Go figure it out. And about 45 days into it, I'm getting all these phone calls from the dealerships and they're going like, what's going on? Like, this is terrible. What? And I'm like calling my brother. I'm like, what are you what are you doing? Like, what the heck? And so and he's like, well, I'm trying to do this and trying to do that. I'm like, just figure it out. Just figure it out. And so I actually took him to lunch to fire him because I'm like, dude, you're, you're the worst inventory director I've ever seen. And he's like, dude, you've never sat down with me and told me what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, like it was a kind of a punch back and it was like, you, like you've never given me the time of day and how do you expect me to do what I'm supposed to do? And I'm like, man, like my natural tendency is just to give things to people and just for them to do it. And so I sat down with them at lunch for like two hours and di dissected everything that I wanted them to do phone numbers of people. I wanted them to call all these things. And then what he did is he took all of that. And I, I gave him 30 days. I said, you have 30 days to figure this out, or we're going to have to, like you put it, redeploy you back in the workforce. And which is really hard for me because that's my brother, but you know, I got to do what I got to do. He in 30 days went and took online college classes about supply chain, went and took classes on Excel spreadsheets and Google. Like it, the, he, in 30 days, he became the most amazing inventory director. And he's, People are trying to recruit him annoyingly, but he became the most amazing person I have ever seen in my life. And I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I called my dad and I'm like, 
this situation happened and me and Lee, you, me and you even talked about it. And, and, yeah, exactly. and I'm like, okay, like I, I L five him and I shouldn't have, but his personality is, is not necessarily a number one person at the moment because he hadn't gone through the experiences, you know, maybe like I had, because I had the dealership for, for three years before that. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, and so now he's just taking off with it. And now he's calling me saying, Hey, I want more. I want more leadership. I want, I want to know, <laughs> I want to be more, you know, I'm a director of inventory. I want to be on the C level. How do I be on the C level? Like I want to do these things and I've created these systems and I've created these processes and it's been a mic. I'm like, wow. And so I, I have taken a huge learning curve from that because like you just said, David, you're like, these are people livelihood. I mean, my brother was making a good living, you know, for that little time being, and I'm like, okay, like I, I'm going to ruin his life over my inability to realize, you know, me and how my management style is. I mean, that was one of the biggest learnings lessons I have had to date because it, it was going to affect so much. I mean, the family dynamic was going to change. I mean, everything would have changed if I would have just been yeah. not aware of what was going on. Well, coming from a family business like David and I do, we can join you in that. Uh, one of the things that you're demonstrating, though, that is critical and important as a leader is vulnerability. Um, what a lot of people think is when we get in a leadership role is that we can't make mistakes or we're supposed to have all the answers and we're supposed to know what to do. That's not possible. Right. You know, just like you said, we don't know what we don't know until we realize we didn't know it. But you have to go through the journey. And I think that's the other piece to this is that adaptability. I have to have the willingness to say, okay, I'll take, I, you have the willingness to take the feedback from your brother. Right. And then you're going, whoa, okay. I realize I did not properly set you up for success. And now your brother gives you feedback as to what can happen. And then you go, all right, um, I've got to give that opportunity a chance to happen. Right. But that, that doesn't always uh, exist. I mean, there are many leaders who feel at that moment they still got to hold their line uh, where it, it's at the greatest point in time of showing leadership. And also we're talking culture here today about a value and integrity and also value of compassion and caring. I can step back and say, okay, I messed up. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. And I learned a long time ago um, you know, similarly to you, you have a great mentor and a father, David has one as well, and I as well, is I take the first hit. It was unclear. I didn't make it clear. So let's have this conversation so we know, and that's what you did with your brother. Right. Um, and and that's, that's, that's a piece that I'm learning and seeing over time is still missing. For sure. Yeah. Uh, that Lee, that's, willingness yeah, that's to be what... flexible. Lee, that's one of the big, big, you know, is is in the book we talk broadly about three types of mistakes, and it starts with diagnosing, right? So leaders are not diagnosing situations effectively, and then that leads to the response. So even once you diagnose, you still have to be able to respond and then adapt. And so we see those three broad types of mistakes of diagnosing, responding, and adapting. Um, but as I mentioned early, earlier, seven out of 10 times, we're not getting it right in favorable situations. We're overmanaging about half the time in unfavorable situations. We're not getting it right. And so those mistakes and what Jason didn't real, came to realize is now he's got a tool with his brother or others um, mm -hmm. to diagnose. And one of the things that, that, that's really important there is using tools like Prodaptive or other leadership models. There are other ones out there that are really good as well. 
um, is that when we have a process like that to diagnose, respond, adapt, it allows us to move to a more rational state than an emotional state or instinctive state. Right. Because so often we're so busy and COVID's right. a great example. Everyone's under stress, pressure, doing things differently. So we re- we revert to our instinctive response, right? More well, fight or flight or fear-based, anxiety-based modes, just because that's what we do in a stress state, that we're, we're human. That's what it means to be human. We're emotional beings. Right. But by stopping and asking, you know, that first diagnosis question of, you know, is this situation favorable or unfavorable? It literally transitions you from the emotional and instinctive part of your brain to the rational part. Now, that doesn't mean you ignore the, the instinctive and intuitive part of your brain, but it helps you sharpen the intuitive instinctive part of your brain. And so now you get, you start using all of your brain in order to be a more effective leader instead of being more in either an emotive instinctive state or a purely rational, you know, and we've all met those people that are like robots, right? Right. For <laughs> you sure. wonder if they, yeah. they have any feelings at all, but you can then leverage both. And that's where we get emotions are connected to satisfaction. A lot of the rational mind is connected to success. So those two results, success and satisfaction, it comes back to how do you deliver both of those? I love that. And that and that's so important and and being aware. I mean, it it really it and and all this is like the reason I love this is because it it takes in my opinion like a special person. I mean, you can give them all the tools in the world, but it's it's the want to do this. And so it does take that special yeah. person, but I believe I mean in my opinion I only know what I know, but it has changed our organization so much. And everybody believes so much in each other and so much in the vision and the values and our mission statement and everything that's going on with their company that they, I mean, we have a 180 employees and I'm, you know, nothing's perfect, but we, you know, we have 180 employees that are just bought in. And if they, if they're not, they, they police themselves and they, they kind of weed each other out. It's, it's, it's been an unbelievable thing to watch. And one thing I want to ask you too, is you've worked with an, a lot of leadership and a lot of leaders. What are the, you know, the, the top, I'll say three takeaways with learn with, with coaching and rubbing shoulders with some, some of the most amazing leaders in the, in the world and, you know, from different companies and such, what are the top three things that you think um, are the most important when you're building an organization specifically? So you just demonstrated it. <laughs> Um, this, the CEO of the company takes full accountability for demonstrating the values every single day that they operate the business. So the reason why people are managing it at the level that it needs to be managed is because they see you genuinely operating that way every day. So, you know, when you're talking about integrity or you're talking about excellence, they see that whatever you're doing, you're identifying with them as well as what excellent looks like to them. And I know you do this. You pointed out you you actually associate a value with the success of what's going on. Right. And that's what a leader needs to do. Another thing a leader that I find needs to do is to recognize they don't have all the answers, that the answers sit within the organization that what they need to do is what you're also doing, Jason, is share the direction and the vision where you want to take the company and then show them how they're connected to it. A lot of people in large organizations, 
feel, I don't know, I don't affect what's going on in today's strategy. I don't affect a thing. Well, someone like you can show them the dots as to their work, let's say in the service department. The fact that that you went the extra mile for that customer today showed excellence. And because of that, that customer now has such an experience. They're coming back and they're asking and sending friends here. So it, it's a, it, those two are really important. And right. then the, the final piece is a continuous learner that you want to learn that you never you you never get there as soon as one of uh, the great leaders i see may go through tremendous change or deal with a high innovation or deal what you did go through an extremely challenging period of time and then sit back and reflect what did i learn what what did i do well what that i didn't do well what could i could do differently and they're continuing that's that adaptability that david's talking about and continually trying to improve themselves and then the people want to do it as well right they say hey the boss is learning they're not staying stagnant here right no i i agree david what what about you well i i would agree with lee i think on everything he just said so uh, i'll I'll try and compliment that (laughs) instead of repeat what he just said as three Mm -hmm. well I'll, i'll i'll look at a few other areas um, so from an organizational perspective, I think it's really important to understand that everything starts with culture. Mm-hmm. And so from a lead, the great, what do great leaders do? They're able to build, replicate, and even adapt their culture to what's necessary in a way that really captures the, the head and the heart of their employees, both. And, and, um, uh, Michael O'Connor and Ken Blanchard in their book Managing by Values, and you know they they I, I love the three steps there because they're fairly straightforward and simple. And so, what right. do they do? They first clarify that culture. What is what are those expectations that we want to see in our organization? Um, those values. What's our mission? Where are we headed? What's our vision? Are we doing this beyond just making money? And and really leverage that to capture hearts. And then they're constantly communicating and celebrating that. As Lee just demonstrated, helping people connect the dots. If someone does something as simple as pick up a wrapper in the parking lot on the way there, because they take pride in where they work, right. you know, and they want it to look good. That's a little thing. Connect that to that broader purpose that everyone wants to be a part of something bigger than just being a cog in a wheel or a paycheck. Um, and then the the last part really is about aligning them, aligning their organization from top to bottom with the company's values. And that alignment starts with themselves. And so all of those things Lee talked about, being open, being vulnerable, acknowledging mistakes, um, you know, constantly uh, set, looking at, at setting the strategy alignment with where you want to go. Um, all important, but it starts with, they first and foremost are most concerned about aligning themselves with those values and principles and making sure they're consistent and their leadership team yeah. is consistent. So the values cascade from the top down, but are also driven from the bottom up as they leverage what's best and they engage the employees from what's best. And so they've got literally top down and bottom up commitment to the company's values. And when you do that, even if you, even when you make mistakes, when you, when you get it wrong, you can recover mm-hmm. faster. Right. Um, right. You recover better. And in the end, you you if you're at the top, 
you know, at the top of your your market or the, the top of your industry, you continue to just separate yourselves from others because there are very, very few things that you can truly differentiate your organization on. Like you, you're in RVs. Right. There are hundreds of dealers throughout North America that can sell the same thing you sell. You there's no you don't have a particular product. So what's the difference? It's the culture. It's what people feel when they walk through the door as employees, customers and employees and, and even the owners. And so that's where you differentiate. I think what great leaders do differently is they understand that and they focus on that. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I I actually just did a talk with our service department, our general managers, service managers, warranty advisor or warranty administrators and service advisor, everybody's everything service and the GMs about like we can't, you know, the, the salespeople are great and there's a lot of customer service in that, but there there's only so much profoundness I can put in a four square or desking or selling the unit that, you know, other people have in the state. It's how we take care of them and how we're going to, and, and, you know, service after the fact and the customer service is what we can control and we can only control what we can control. I can't control the manufacturers, the parts, but we can control how we treat people and who we are as a company. And that, you know, when I, I read a good book, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. I don't know if you ever ever read it, but it talks about being a blue ocean company. Like mm -hmm. that's how we can create a to be a blue ocean company in this red ocean of an industry. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. But it it, it does take a team to buy into that, and and to to you know, like you said, from the top down to the bottom up of everybody being on the same page. And you know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that you know the the leader, the manager, the CEO, the business owner has to it's got to start from, you know, they have to lead from the front because if people see them not doing it or not carrying, or it's just, uh, you know, cause how many times do we go into a business and we see their mission statement on the wall or there maybe some values and this and that yeah. and the other, but we, you know, that's never mentioned to us as a customer base. It's never mentioned to us as, as you know, any, anything. And the, it's just there on the wall, but managing through it is a completely different, different animal. And I think companies I think that let me join you there, Jason. I think there's something too that you probably experience. It, one of the most interesting things you talk about your values, you talk about the direction, you do it on a regular basis, right? And you know when you're getting it right is when your employees actually start to mimic you before you even say the words. They kid you about. It. I said, "Okay, Jason, this is where you're going." You know you have it right because you're demonstrating great character, you're building the trust, you're building the commitment, you're doing that collaboration, and they hear you do it. And that's, that's the key. Right. Um, and then when you start hearing the employees doing it, and talking that way, you can't stop. Right. That's when that's when it starts to go awry a little bit. Everybody, I think you were talking about earlier around success. You think you got it. As soon as you take your foot off the pedal, for a period of time saying, okay, let's coast. All of a sudden it starts to erode. Right. And you're wondering why, gee, that wrapper, I went to the store six months ago, there wasn't a wrapper there. Why is there a wrapper there today? And you start to find out that, whoops, I took the foot off the pedal. Right. And a lot of leaders say, well, I'm repeating myself, said you are, but for someday you will say something that you said a hundred times, but that person finally heard it. Right. And no, I, that's the whole purpose. I agree. All and right. it's funny. So we, you know, I've, I've showed you our culture cards, you know, we have all of our, we have a mission statement yeah, and our, and our each value on a, on a plastic card we keep in our wallets and every single employee has them in our, in our company. 
I was at an art art gala showing for one of our service manager's daughters. Um, she is a world famous artist. She was one of the only artists for Louis Vuitton. She's done some crazy, mm. like, like she does such realistic portraits that it looks so fake. And I'm like, if you didn't film yourself drawing these, I would never believe it. But the NBA and the owner of the Utah jazz commissioned her to do some really cool art pieces. And so she was showing these art pieces this last weekend in the Salt Lake city. Cause we had the all-star game here. And so yeah. her dad is our service manager at legacy. He card checked me cause we card check each other. He card checked me in the middle of the gala and everybody's like staring at him. And he like comes in. He's like, he holds out his card and he's like, I'm just going to have to do some pushups or something for me. Like you got your card and I whipped it out and we had it. And like, people were like, what are you guys doing? And we started talking to other business owners about it. And they're like, this is, this is crazy. Like the, you know, like the one guy was like, I, I don't even realize like, you know, how important that is. But I, I've never asked our employees, our values. It's just written on the wall. And I'm like, yeah, we like literally we're at a gala dressed up and I had mine on my, in my wallet and we were laughing about it <laughs> because he keeps trying to get me without my culture card. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to get caught without it, but it's, it, it was, it was so cool to see. And even my wife, my wife was there and she was like laughing. She was like, that's, that, that's really cool to see that that they care about it even when we're outside because you know i try to focus yeah. on people hey even when you're not at work you still are a steward of the company and you know i you know i say your brothers and sisters the people on your right the people on your left and if you do something detrimental to the company you're taking money from the person on your right and your person on your left so we all affect each other and we're all here for mm -hmm. you know our, our mission statement and our values and so that was that was cool that was kind of a proud moment that i was like wow that was awesome so it is terrific. one thing I want to ask you, Lee, is you do a lot of work with John Cotter or, ha or have worked with John Cotter. Um, I mean, he's an unbelievable human being, has a, a one of the best minds for leading change in organizations. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I, I'm interested to hear about the work that you did with John and how it's affected, you know, what you do today. Oh, well, great question. I, I was uh, very fortunate, oh, geez, around 2005, six to meet him. Um, and he was in the process of taking his leading change and creating his our iceberg is melting book. And uh, through that, uh, I coordinated with a couple of colleagues who he was involved with on how to bring uh, his our iceberg is melting, which is the fable version of organizational change into into companies and he was terrific um he's very passionate obviously about change but the 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 and it's really connecting quite a bit to our conversation right now is how do you build a culture of change it all starts again with what david's talking about that leadership management model and it's about having that character as a leader and having that credibility as a manager and knowing the difference between the two um, and a lot of times when change fails has to do with everything we've been talking about. It starts with the culture. Um, it's, it's how to create the right sense of urgency around a problem of being clear what problem we're trying to solve and then trying to put the right team together and the people together. And how do we get that organized and get the right balance? And then the thing is the resiliency or how adaptable is the organization? So many a times we try and um, deal with a big change. And the majority of the companies, honestly, I've worked with, they're really not dealing with transformation. They're dealing with very large 
process change. Right. So basically what they're doing is you I asked these few questions of a senior leader, and I've asked these of you, and is you know, how certain or uncertain are you of the outcome that you're trying to deal with? You know, when you're trying to grow your business and you're trying to make some changes and do things differently. Well, a lot of the times uh, the organization said, is it totally new? Is it different? Has nobody ever done this before? Well, in some shape or form, somebody has. So the outcome is somewhat predictable. So that's more the what and the why. But then it's about the people and the technology. So what are our processes? Are we How complex is that? Well, we're making, we're going to start changing and having multiple groups work together in a different way. Well, that's where the problem starts to occur is because one leader has one identified sense of urgency around the problem. Another has a different one and they're not connected. And so what ends up happening is they're going down parallel paths, yet they think they're going toward the same purpose and they're not. And then when their teams start working together, they're saying, well, that's not what I'm being measured on. That's not what I'm being told to do. And right. then all of a sudden, everything stops. And the leader goes, well, why did that happen? And it's really understanding that going back to David's earlier point is, what's the culture we have? What are we trying to do? Who are the people leading it? How do we get that done? How do we make those changes? And do we have the right fit to make that happen? And how do we make how do we make those changes in the fly? And for example, what you did with Matt, uh, right. Matt recognizing if Matt didn't do what he needed to do to adapt himself as a leader, you wouldn't have been able to change the organization you wanted to to grow. Right. Right. No, I, now I imagine I, you I have that. an organization with thirty three thousand people, and you have you know a thousand Matts, and they don't know that's what to do. And that sounds is, miserable. That's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I bring it all back. You know, you can focus on task and process, but you got to bring it back to the people side for change right at the beginning. And are they do they have the ability? And then the other part is is the biggest leaders in change don't necessarily come from the top. They're usually in the middle of the company. Mm. <laughs> They're usually the ones who are the informal leaders that have high respect from their colleagues and from other cohorts in the organization who who have more influence than I as a CEO. And how do I tap that? And that's right. really important. Yeah, Lee, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some coaching with a leader right now who is in a fairly large organization. Um, you know, three, 4,000 people. I don't remember exactly how much. And they're in one department and one small division. And they're going through a, a lot of change. And recently, they're going through some difficult, really tough stuff right now. And uh, recently, uh, I was talking to them. I said, well, I don't understand why everybody from all over the organization keeps coming to me. <laughs> right. 
right? I, I'm in this one little division, in this one little part of this, thousands of people, but the, the senior leaderships, the C-suite keeps different people from the C-suite are coming to me. People from below me in the organizational chain are coming to me. And so several people started saying, well, you're the only one who, who, who gets it. You're the only one who everyone's going to listen to. And this person surprised to them. They're that informal leader that because of their character is, is really driving, um, driving a lot of the change that needs to happen in that organization. It really, a really good example um, of that. Uh, and, and to build on some, a few of the other things you're saying is as we talk about culture and people, you know, a lot of times, especially harder side leaders, think of it as motherhood and apple pie. It's this nice thing we'll get to once we make enough money, once we have this right. strategy right. implemented once, but they never get there. And, and the reason why is pretty simple when you think about it. If you have the best strategy or the best processes in the world, but your people don't believe in it, which is your culture, and they're personally not committed to doing it or capable of executing it, it doesn't matter. Right. It's completely irrelevant. And so, right. you, you know, I would take a, a B strategy with an A culture and A people over an A strategy with B culture and B people because they're not going to be as committed to executing it. Right. And, and see that in a lot of organizations, um, lots of times. And so really as leaders understanding that I cannot execute that strat those strategies and processes until I really have the right culture and the right people's commitment. I think that going back to your question earlier, Jason, on what do great leaders do? They understand that. Right. Yeah. They understand the inner dynamic of those and that it's a big spider's web with those four components of culture, people, process, and strategy. And one pulls on the other, but certainly culture and people tend to drive um, drive higher performance and sustainable performance much more so than the others. For sure. No, and I, and I to agree. add to that, leaders feel that they're, again, they're supposed to have the answers. The, the real trouble here is that Again, people don't know what problem we're trying to solve. And so what ends up happening is they go in and, and say, well, this is what we've got to do. And when they go make that decision, they don't realize the full impact that they've just made on the individuals. So what they have to do is realize they don't need to be the problem solver. They need to be the problem resolver. And oh, problems that. resolving versus problem solving are two different things. If I'm doing the problem solving, it means I've sat about and thought about myself and I come to a solution and I hand it to others to do it. So all of a sudden, if I hand it to Dave said, here, I figured it out, Dave, go do it. And you look at it and go, what? Right. All right, I'll go do it. Dave already knows, well, Quinny, this is going to fail. But you told me you're the boss. And then all of a sudden fails. Whose problem is it? Mine or David's? Right. No, it's mine because I, I didn't even ask David when I handed it to him, do you think this is going to work? Problem resolving is say, hey, Dave, I've been thinking about this. Here's what I have. What part of this do you think is going to work or not work? David said, well, I think let me give him my team. We'll come back. They come back and all of a sudden they give me a very fair solution to it. I go, go do it. Now, how motivated are they going to be? Hey, David's going to be to go do this. He's going right. to be highly motivated. One, because I gave him the respect, and two, be the one who fixes it. But right. I do have to identify there's a need, and I have to point out the reason why, but I don't have to come up with a solution. And that's where, again, change fails. 
Because no. they just that's, try and fix it. And, right. and Lee, I think that's one of the one of the benefits you and I have seen with clients, and why you know we've gotten together um, to build on Dr. O'Connor's work and and start Potentia, yeah. is to provide those tools um, to organizations. And you know, another just really quick example is I remember when Dr. O'Connor and I were working with a multinational organization, and they were asking us to help them with the um, to reorganize um, because they had a new strategy. And so we need to reorganize around this because it's not working. So let's let's reorganize. And so we we went in and we 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 try to practice what we preach. We're not always perfect, but we we tend to do a pretty good job. And so we diagnosed. We said, okay, let's make sure we've got the right issues here. We're trying to solve the right problem. Well, what we identified is it had nothing to do with their organizational structure at all. Why they weren't executing. Okay, we looked at their people and the what they needed from these key managers in each region had changed dramatically because of the strategy. And I was just looking at this the other day. When it looked when you looked at motivation fit, so the type of work they were asking these managers to do changed significantly. Over half of them were demotivated by the new type of work they were supposed to do. Wow. So it had nothing to do with the organizational structure. They just didn't want to do the work. Right. <laughs> they were, it had changed and what they were passionate, the reason they came to the organization, now they were asked to do something totally different. And until you address that issue, um, you aren't going to move the bar. You could have reorganized a hundred times and you still weren't going to resolve exactly. it. You were just moving your problem to different parts of the organization to have the oh, same sorry. result. And so we, 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 we went back with that information and the senior um, leadership to their benefit of the organization said, wow, we just about spent millions of dollars on this reorganization. It looks like we need to do something totally different. And they did. And wow. as a result, they were able to put a lot of those people in, in seats where they could leverage that energy again. A few people did end up leaving the organization, but they left on good terms because they understood, as we talked about earlier, it was the job changed and they just weren't a great fit. So let's help you land somewhere where you continue to be successful and satisfied. And they gave them a long way to an appropriate runway to do that. Um, and and there were others that said, hey, it may not be exactly what I love, but I'm going to be adaptable. And I'm going to learn how to do this at a high level because of where I want to go. I love this organization and uh, I'm going to do this really good. So I get different opportunity to go to do something I love even more. And it was really exciting to see that because they were able to to, um, keep a vast majority of those employees internal to the organization. That's awesome. That, 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 that's and that, and that's tough to do. I mean, it, it, it's tough to have those conversations. It's tough to to come to realizations. It's tough to like, you know, I got told one time, I can't remember who it was, but by, by a older previous business, um, shift happens. And sometimes you have to make those shifts. And sometimes you have to make those hard decisions. And sometimes you have to, to move forward. But how you do it is completely up to you. I mean, and that can be the factor that changes, you know, your, who changes everything i mean like you said even if people have to leave it's on good terms or even if you know you have to make those shifts everybody's aware of making those shifts and it's being authentic as a leader and as a as or a business owner a ceo and not being fake i mean it's i see so many times where where people will try to come up with a culture or vision or a mission statement and values and their whole entire organization's like yeah i do not believe you at all because that is a hundred percent not you so how about you stop reading 
you know, maybe you read a book or two and you think that this is profound, but we know that on the weekends or how you are with your family or how you are with us is completely fake. So see you, dude. Like I've seen that actually quite a bit where it's like, oh, I'm going to come up with all this, all this material. And I'm not going to say that people can't change, but people can tell if they're changing it on the right path or if it's just a fake thing because they want to put it in you know, an yeah. article or they want to put it in, you know, they want to put it in the, you know, their business or the locations or, or whatever. And then their employees are like, okay, dude, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's not you. So the value of the trust, you're the most untrustworthy person in the world. So I don't really know where that value came from. Um, but it's not, it's, it's not right. But I, and I think being authentic and being you as an individual and as a company and and just sticking to who you are is is super important when anything like that happens and and not letting a lot of these outside voices dictate who you are because quite oftentimes we get these almost bad mentors or these bad voices in our head that tell us to do one thing that goes completely against to who we are as a person yeah we've seen that more than i've seen that we lee and i certainly have seen that more than once as a matter of fact that's why we get called into a lot of situations sometimes right Um, those exact situations and and one of the things that you you said is talking about you know how do you be authentic to yourself and also be adaptable learn how to put more new tools in a toolkit right and so uh, yeah maybe i'm an introvert but that doesn't mean i can't be good at interacting with others right I'm never going to change the fact that I'm an introvert. So how can I be authentic to who I am and appreciate that and build on that as a core strength of mine, but then add to my toolkit some of those other behaviors that maybe don't come natural, but while being authentic and not thinking like, oh, I have to be like Jason, who's this, you know, life of the party guy who walks in and, you know, is always talking all the time. I, you know, I'm never going to be that guy if I'm an introvert. No, be authentic to yourself and realize, oh, hey, there may be some things that Jason does that I can learn from and add to my toolkit. Mm-hmm. So I'm more adaptable. And now you're you're coming from a a position of of positivity and strength instead of, of, of inadequacy. Right. Right. And that makes a big difference for sure. Um, and how we become authentic and adaptable leaders. So we get the most out of, uh, out of others and out of, out of ourselves and what we, we want. For sure. Well. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I know I told you guys, I'd keep this to an hour and we've already gone uh 15 minutes yeah. over, but this has been a great conversation. And, and I, I just appreciate you too so much. I mean, you've, you've completely changed my life personally, our business life, and really a lot of our, our uh, team members life. So I, I, I like just from the bottom of my heart, I want to say, I want to say thank you to you both. And one thing I want to ask you um, is how to, you know, David, you mentioned the book. It's an awesome book. How do you know you're given free? I think you said maybe 20 copies, you know, free copies to some listeners and kind of first come, first serve. How would they get that information from you? Um, so if they if they just send an email to info at potentia.solutions, so it's potentia, it's like potential without the L, P O T E N T I A dot solutions info at potentia.solutions. Um, first 2025, if we get more than that, we'll see. Maybe we'll be feeling generous and give you all a copy. But cool. uh, we, we'd love to share that information with you. As Jason shared, it's really um, helped his organization transform um, their leadership team and many, many others. So we'd love to we'd love to spread spread the, the word on how to do that. Um, and uh, and also want to thank you, Jason, for having, having us on, on here. The reason Lee and I do this is because 
we'd love to see what happens when organizations take these tools and, and literally transform the lives of their leadership teams and their organizations, their employees, and even their customers oftentimes. Um, and so we love that all-win approach, and that's what keeps that's what keeps us energized and, and continuing to do this. So thank you for you and your team and, and the commitment you've shown to our organizations and working with us. Um, it's been wonderful working with you. That uh, means a lot. And if I could echo that, Jason, you're tremendous. Uh, the reason why we're here is because of your passion. We know you live and breathe the culture. We know that the values that you have in your card are not words on a card, but they're actual living, breathing uh, ways of how to operate inside your organization. And uh, we are grateful to have someone to work with like you. And so thank you and thank you, team. And as always, I enjoy working with David. So each day is a great day. So we're very lucky people. For sure. One one last question I want to ask you to, and I ask every single person sure. on the show and, you know, doesn't matter who goes first, but I want to ask you both the same question is what does success mean to you? How do you define success? Kind of put you on the spot right, here. David. Well, um, for me, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's helping other people fulfill their potential. I love that. And um, the reason why we started Potential was just for what David said, is helping people fulfill their potential. It's for both of us. It's also for other partner, Dave Wolf. Uh, that's why we've chosen to put the business together. And uh, and we're looking forward to having the opportunity to touch more great leaders and help them thrive and grow and uh, develop. And that's what we're here for. Yeah. That's awesome. I love blessed, that. Blessed to be able to do that around the world from. Oh, I know. We are very lucky. <laughs> very blessed. I love it. Well, hey, Lee, David, thank you so much for, for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Please share it. Um, we are out there trying to share culture. And Lee, David, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jason. Thank you again, Jason. Thank you.